look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, it's the Star Tight End podcast. I've got Jason Witten of the Dallas Cowboys and Greg Olson of the Carolina Panthers, both talking about their longevity and all the other things happening in their lives. But first... A few thoughts about the current row between Roger Goodell and his contract and the committee negotiating his contract and the upstart, Jerry Jones. And, you know, the upstart in this case, who's the Dallas Cowboys owner, obviously, Jerry Jones. I've known Jones for a long time. When I worked for Newsday, a paper on Long Island, In the late 80s, I wrote what I believe is the first long story, the long profile, when he was attempting to become the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, of Jerry Jones. So I've known him a lot over the years. And let me just make this point, in my opinion, about Jones. And there's going to be a lot of people who are going to have a lot of opinions about Jerry Jones. He's selfish. He's only out for his own good. He uh, basically wants uh, the, 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 the Dallas Cowboys to be the kings of the world and, and all that. You know, I get that. And I get that a lot of people believe he's selfish. And in this case, I get a lot of people believe that he's not a team player. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that he's not a team player in this case. I totally get it. But I do want to remind you of a couple of things as you consider the man in the black hat, Jerry Jones. And I would, I, I, I would, I would make this point first about him, that over the years, he's taken a lot of unpopular stands. And, you know, one of those stands I'll never forget was in the early 90s when Jones fought the NFL's attempt to give money back to television networks when they were going through a down spiral. And I remember at the league meetings where this was discussed, Jerry Jones said to me and a few other writers, hey, listen, I get that the networks are having a tough time, but... If we were having a tough time, wouldn't the networks hold us to our contract? And so he said, I just don't think it's fair when they're going through a hard time for us to give them money back because I don't think it would be a reciprocal agreement. And I'm paraphrasing there, but because it was whatever, 25 years ago. And, And so I, you know, I just remember that at the end of the day, Jones was right. They got Fox involved. Fox made, has made the NFL incredibly wealthy over the years and the NFL has given Fox legitimacy as a network 
Uh, and there have been a few other things, most notably the fact that Jones wanted to be able to use Visa and Pepsi and some of his advertisers instead of just using what the NFL uh, wanted to use in their stadiums. And uh, you know, he ended up settling with the NFL for that, which basically was a win for Jones. But, but I, I, I only bring those things up because at those times, Jerry Jones appeared to be absolutely against the world. And and I believe he's against the world in this case, in the Roger Goodell contract negotiations. And I don't think he's going to win. But I do think that it's foolish to say that Jerry Jones doesn't have a point and shouldn't be listened to. And in this particular case, I don't think it's too much to ask that the exact parameters of Roger Goodell's contract be spelled out in their entirety when they are agreed to by the NFL owners. Because otherwise, how do you know how much you're going to pay him through 2024? And so I'm just making this point, and that point is don't underestimate Jerry Jones. I'm not saying he's going to win now, but he has won when it has appeared very, very difficult before. And in my opinion, I think he's got some owners who quietly, very quietly, are cheering him on and who want Roger Goodell uh, and his new contract to be a more reasonable thing than has been discussed currently in public settings. So, I believe that, as I say, Goodell's deal is going to get done. He's going to have a contract that's going to make him commissioner through 2024. But I think sometimes when you take an unpopular stand, you get berated and you get highly criticized in the court of public opinion. Part of me really admires Jones for taking the stance that he has. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. I'm here with Jason Witten in Dallas, Texas. We're actually riding down the Dallas Tollway as Jason Witten is on a day off. He's on his way to um, uh, a function to help the Dallas Cowboys uh, inaugurate their and and kick off their uh, their Salvation Army work for the season. As everybody there knows, you watch football on Thanksgiving. The Cowboys do a lot uh, with the Salvation Army, and they do a lot uh, in the community in Dallas. And uh, Jason, very good to have you uh, on the podcast. How are things? Doing well, you know, just uh, trying to recover from a tough loss yesterday. You know, went down to Atlanta, and we couldn't get it done. But, you know, we're 5-4 and four and got three games in 12 days coming up. We really like our team. Certainly, we got to play some good football down the stretch here. I always wonder, with this Thanksgiving game, a lot of people think, think it's an advantage because you're always home. And, and I'm, it's obviously better than having to go on the road. But the one thing I, was, I would wonder about it is that your Thursday games come late in the year. You're playing back-to-back Thursday games, right, this year? And your Thursday games come late in the year, so people are probably pretty well beat up uh, by this time. So what's your feeling about playing this game consistently every Thanksgiving and on Thursday night football in general? 
Well, I think it's a little bit in regards to Thanksgiving. I think it's placed to our advantage. I mean, we we do it every year. Uh, majority of our team, the carryover, different opponents. They're you know you, we would think that we would have the advantage, but you know the margin's so tight in this league. You know, I I, I think it's hard to go produce and play at a level your Sunday to Thursday. It's not much recovery overall. Uh, certainly for older guys like myself, um, it makes it more of a challenge. But at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't matter if it's right here on the tollway or, you know, in AT&T Stadium, you know, you got to get out there and find a way to make plays and execute. And so they roll the ball out, you got to be able to play. But it is more challenging, I feel like. And I don't think the game is at the highest quality just in, from a performance and execution standpoint because it's such a quick turnaround. Do you empathize with the players in the league who uh... – would love to see Thursday either eliminated or to have a mandated bye before that Thursday game. No, you know, I, I know there's a lot of different feelings and emotions on that. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the stats say as far as how many injuries and all that. I, to me, I'm not really affected by it. You know, it doesn't really matter when, where, how. I mean, the opportunity to play the game and, and uh, you know, sometimes you get a little bit less more, uh, a little bit more rest. And uh, other times it's cut a little short. So uh, it's, it's one of the greatest feelings to play on Thanksgiving in front of the whole country uh, on that holiday and, and to be able to put that star in your helmet. And, you know, it'll be great once again this year. When you were a kid, did you watch Thanksgiving football? Oh, of course. You know, enjoyed a big meal. And, you know, it was usually Cowboys and Redskins and so many great battles over the years. And, you know, my granddad, he was a football man and still is today. But... Uh, that was something, you know, so many great memories of doing that set around the couch and around the kitchen table, having great uh, dinners with family and then going and watching those great games. So, uh, Jason, you, you now have played uh, for 15 years in the NFL and you've got one of the most incredible streaks uh, that anybody could have at a position that you get so much physical abuse um, and and you've played in your 15-year career. You missed one game, and that happened in your rookie year uh, when you broke your jaw and had to get surgery for that jaw. Is there, I mean, I'm sure it's not a secret, but what do you attribute that long-lasting uh, and, and the, the sort of never-ending ability to be able to suit up every Sunday? Well, if, if there was a secret, the secret would be in the dirt. The secret is in the dirt. It's going out there and doing it time and time again, working at your techniques and the fundamentals. I've been blessed to not have a major injury. You know, there's a difference between being hurt and having a little pain and then being injured where it's it's out of your control. You know, you tear your ACL, it doesn't matter how tough you are, you can't play through that. And so I've been fortunate from that standpoint. And I just think it's a mentality, you know. I mean, I, it's such a unique opportunity. It's a privilege, uh, not a right that I have, and, and have had to be the tight end for the Dallas Cowboys for the last 15 years. And you know, Peter, I just have a drive inside of me every time I go pull into that facility that, you know, I want to do more. I want to chase greatness. It's just you, you want to be a part of something. There's a shared sacrifice with your teammates that you want to go compete and compete at the highest level and compete for a championship and. That's the challenge we're on. And so being available, being durable, and having an opportunity to do all the work in between to give myself the best chance to play at a high level, 
that's something I love doing and being a part of. And, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to have a lot of great people along the way that have poured into me in my career and allow my body to withstand this, uh, this, this test, you know, week in and week out, year in and year out over the course of 15 years. So I'm here with a crew today uh, for NBC uh, to sort of document, um, uh, for lack of a better term, how they put Humpty Dumpty back together again every week. And I've, I've just always been amazed, um, you know, that 15 years of football uh, in the NFL, and it's not only 15 years of just showing up, but it's 15 years of, of you know, catching more passes than almost anybody who has ever played the sport. And so doing it at a, at a very high level, but I have always thought, and one of the things that I hope we accomplish in this story for NBC is that you know, there's a lot of people who work hard at the, the physical part of it and the weight room and the lifting and, and maybe in some of the rehab techniques. But there has to be a good part of this that is also mental, that, that you just feel like, Hey, if 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 I can walk, I'm playing. So, what? How important is the mental aspect of it? And describe it if you can. Yeah, the physical and mental goes hand in hand. But to describe that mental, it, it's it's so important. You know, I had uh, a lot of people tell me early on the game's ninety percent mental, ten percent physical, and I believe that. I mean, mentally, your your mentality, your preparation, uh, being able to fight through things. Uh, just kind of your vision that you see the game playing out, the confidence that you have, um, I think it's critical to anyone's success and certainly to a team's success. Uh, for me, that I would learn, I was taught very early on from my grandfather, my high school football coach, just the mental approach that you have to have day in and day out. And, you know, not to allow people to see you weak and tired and, you know, there's confidence that comes from that. But more than that, it's just your ability to kind of, see where you want to go and to fight through it and say, okay, yeah, I don't feel great right now, but tomorrow it's going to be better. And, and, and you dig through it. And uh, for me, that process has always been motivating to me. And I think more than anything else, it's just a love for the game. And, you know, we're fortunate to have the opportunity we, we have to, to play it. But it's just, uh, you know, as I said, I, I'm so fortunate of this opportunity that and I have such a love for this game and competing that my mental aspect is going to give me an edge. And that's what I'm looking for is an edge to go out there and play at the highest level because I know when I put the hand in the dirt, the guy across from me, you know, he's really good too. And I need every edge I can get. Do you think that there's something to be said for quite literally – just being a mentally tough person, is that a cliche or do you think it's real? Well, I think it's real. And I, and I don't think it's something you're, you're born with. I think you develop it. You, know, you train yourself to be mentally tough. You, you work to be mentally tough. You, you go through adversity so you can be mentally tough. And it's all part of it. And, uh, you know, certainly in my life, I, I've had to go through it. And, and it's a trait that I've learned to be mentally tough and to dig deeper and to fight through it. And, you know, and, and as players, you, you find me a really good football player, and I'll tell you who he's a mentally tough guy because in order to be successful in this league, there's a mental aspect. And that leads to your preparation, too, that you can get an edge. And, 
you know, when you feel like you've got the answers to, before the test, uh, the, that's a great feeling um, to have. So that that creates a little bit of an edge as well for me. Uh, but but you know, Peter, I was taught early on being drafted here and playing under Coach Bill Parcells. Um, you know, I learned real quick that uh, you know there's a certain way in which you have to play, and you know, I feel like I got a PhD in in, uh, in learning how to be a pro playing those four years under Bill and not only on the field but off the field as well. You also had to be mentally tough at a very young age. You have a well-publicized, very difficult family background with your, uh, with your father. And, you know, you left that environment. And basically, you uh, were raised through high school uh, by uh, your grandparents, if, if I'm not mistaken. And that, at an early age had to have been one of those things that really would have uh, would have been difficult to overcome, I would think. Yeah, it certainly wasn't easy, you know. I mean, uh, my dad had some tough challenges and some addictions, and unfortunately, uh, you know, it made it difficult for us. But, you know, uh, my mom's willingness and ability to get out of that and, and see, you know, down the future and uh, for her to – get my brothers and I and, and provide an opportunity and our lives changed forever for the for the better and when we had an opportunity to move in with our grandparents and uh, was my high school football coach and you know he didn't just encourage me to dream he dreamed with me and still this day is my biggest fan I owe him a lot to uh, my career but you know we're, we're all byproducts of our experiences in life and I believe in that and, and you lean on those experiences you grow from your experiences in an odd, in an odd way and in maybe a bit of a cruel way, did that, do you think, help you become the sort of mentally tough player that, uh, you know, the experience with your father help you become the mentally tough player that you are? Oh, 100%. You know, I mean, it's, there's no question that it, it affected it. And, uh, you know, and my brothers are the same way. I mean, they're better today because of that experience. And, and, and it wasn't easy, and it was hard, and it was challenging. And, um, you know, you, you wouldn't wish that on the, anybody or, or if you were drawing it up on how you wanted your life to go. That's not ideal. But, um, you know, when you face adversity, it shows true character. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get through that. And, uh, you know, one of the greatest integrity and character men I know, and my grandfather was able to see that and uh, – really what a great platform for me to have that opportunity to see a man live his life and, and really go from two totally different extremes and uh, now have an opportunity to be where I am now and impact uh, young teammates and have the platform nationally to you know to, to showcase those things. Did your grandfather have a chance to meet Bill Parcells? He did. After have, you were drafted? He did have a chance to meet Coach Parcells and uh, you know Bill was extremely gracious, and, uh, you know, I, I tried to warn my grandfather. I said, hey, it's not all peaches and cream over here, you know, <laughs> so be quick and be brief, and, and let's get the heck out of there. But, you know, Coach was so gracious, and, and uh, you know, that's the thing about Bill. I, mean, I wonder he, he, I wonder if – so your grandfather probably was your disciplinarian through high school and probably through college to some degree, and now here comes – the new guy you know here comes parcells so how did your grandfather respond to how bill was treating you and did did they have any talks about how to handle jason witten oh they certainly did i mean my grandfather you know i think that 
Bill liked guys that players that you know grew up around football that loved football that spent many dinners you know talking about football and so I think he appreciated the fact that my grandfather was my high school football coach but you know fairly early in the conversation I hear my granddad who you know he he, uh, he didn't you didn't hear him cuss very much and I, I remember at one point he told us hey coach you got my permission if he gets out of the line you stick that foot up as you know <laughs> and, and get him to straighten up real quick and I and I thought to myself you know I don't hear that very often from a grandfather and, and uh, <laughs> Bill laughed and said trust me you don't have to worry about that <laughs> I've been doing that already for three four months uh so I'm with Jason Witten of the Dallas Cowboys Jason uh in the last few years there's been a lot uh, a lot of research, and there continues to be a lot of research about football and uh, particularly about CTE and what it does to the brain. And I wonder, you've played, as we are speaking today, 240 games in the National Football League. You had a distinguished college career at Tennessee. You played in high school. And so you've taken a lot of blows to the head. How much does it occur to you or how much does it concern you uh what your life might be like when you're 55 or 60 years old well i think we're continuing to learn more and more from it and uh you know i think it's a different game than it was 30 years ago 40 years ago i think you know our league is working really hard both the players and coaches and and just with our rules committee to make it a safer game and, uh, you know, I, I, we, we all make choices to go out there. And, I mean, I, I love this game and the opportunity. Uh, you know, I, I'm confident that uh, it's a safe game and we need to continue to evolve and use the education and technology and what we have to further our game and, and, and make it more and more safe. Um, you know, it's, it's a concern for all of us. I think any time, you know, even as a father, to think my kids could play and, you know, a concussion can very easily happen to them. Uh, but what do you think? You you have boys who are in fourth and fifth grade right now. What do you think about their football future? Well, I think it'll be a safer game for them as they grow. But, uh, you know, I'll let them play in the next few years and I'll let them have an opportunity because the game taught me so much. And, uh, you know, regardless if they have an opportunity to go to college or play professionally, I, I want them to experience that. And so I'm, I think our helmets are getting better. I think the protection of that, we're teaching kids how to tackle better, uh, using the right technique. And so uh, I, I feel confident in what we're doing with our game to make it safe, not only on the peewee level, but certainly at the highest level in the National Football League. Drew Brees made a point right here on this podcast a year ago that he said, I really think kids, pre-high school kids, should be playing flag football and flag football only. That's gotten a little bit of traction, but I look around the state of Texas and I think to myself, you know, because I've seen and heard so many things about youth football and how entrenched it is uh, in, 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 this, in this area. But what do you think of flag for youth? Well, I think it's, it's great. My kids play, play youth football and uh, I think it's, it's, great for the game to see those kids learn these techniques and not have to take the blows and really just they're not old enough to be able to be carrying these 
pads, taking these hits. It's not as fun of a game as, as flag is. Everybody wants to score touchdowns and catch passes. and So I, I think they learn to have a, a love and passion for the game at an early age and teach them those techniques so that they can go on and be successful. So, you know, I think for Pee Wee level early on, like where my boys are at right now, I think it's great for the game and just teaching them to have a passion for it. And, uh, you know, they can then transition to the pads and, and the details of blocking and tackling and all that goes into it as they get older. Jason Witten, Dallas Cowboys, thanks a lot for welcoming in me into your world for a day. And uh, it's been really educational to see how you uh, try to come back from one game and get ready to play another one. And I see, I kind of see now how it works. <laughs> well, appreciate you coming along for the ride, Peter. This is the MMQB Podcast. They say in life there are no guarantees. They say there's no sure thing. Well, I'm here to tell you there might just be one exception. In 1924, Husky started making things for people who make things. And they did it with common sense. That meant adding function, never frills. And making tools that stood the test of time. 93 years later, Husky is still making quality-crafted, durable tools. And Husky stands by their hand tools for life, so they gave their hand tools a lifetime warranty. Like the Husky Ratchet, with a 100-position ratcheting design and a 10% longer handle than standard ratchets. That allows you to do with it what other ratchets can't do. Or the virtually unbreakable Husky Flashlight, with the ability to withstand a 30-foot drop and to work it up to one meter of water. Both guaranteed for a lifetime, but built so you won't need it. Now, that's a pretty sure thing. And to Husky, that's common sense. Husky, common sense tools since 1924, with hand tools guaranteed for a lifetime. Found only at the Home Depot. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. Uh, happy to be joined by Greg Olson, the tight end of the Carolina Panthers. And Greg, one of the reasons why I really wanted to have you on the podcast this week is that I recently read about your endeavors in Charlotte to try to do something really positive for kids uh, who have uh, life-threatening heart diseases the way your son had several years ago. And I wanted you to take a minute to explain, uh, you know, to uh, to our listeners just a little bit about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Yeah, so for the past five years following um, after the birth of our son, TJ, and, you know, his subsequent kind of journey through congenital heart disease and three open heart surgeries, and he lives with a pacemaker that he'll have the rest of his life and a series of procedures that he's had to correct a, a very critical complex heart disease, we founded a program with our foundation called The Hardest Yard. And at the time, up to this point, we provided free in-home care for all children born with congenital heart disease here in Charlotte. Uh, when their families were discharged into the home from the hospital, all the needs, both medically and, fa and for the family personally, that they had, we paid for, no questions asked, and, and no bills were ever seen by anyone. It was entirely privately funded. We were fortunate that we were able to overfund that need, and, and we've been able to fundraise at a, at a greater pace than the need um, called for. And we are very excited. We're actually going to announce it uh, next week, and we are going to be opening and, and funding the first 
of its kind program here in, in our region um, of a cardio, a cardiac neurodevelopment clinic. And long story short, uh, these clinics have popped up now at some of the major medical uh, medical hospitals in the in the country based on the fact that 20, 30 years ago, children like my son would have died and, and they never would have lived. And as, as great as it is that they are living and thriving from the advancements in healthcare, the reality is now we have so many more of these kids entering our, entering our, you know, into society and really having long-term developmental problems, both cognitively, behaviorally, socially, learning disabilities across the board, just slow development, um, directly related to their early interventions and early um, surgeries required because of their heart condition. And we're going to bring a, a, a full clinic to Charlotte, and it's going to be a cardiac neurodevelopment center where people are going to be able to bring their, their children um, in and, and be able to receive a, a litany and a, and a multitude of services and care uh, all in one place. And we think it's going to be pretty pretty game-changing for the cardiac uh, population here in Charlotte. So how many children a year would you estimate that this center would serve once it's fully operative? Oh, multiple hundreds of families. So, I mean, you're Charlotte, Charlotte alone, and, and this center would receive families that receive their surgeries at other local or other regional medical facilities that can so handle people, these sort of So people care. would come to Charlotte for this? Yeah, people would come to Charlotte for this because you're not going to you're not going to be able to bring your child to a center like this anywhere else in the region. Um, there are some other good children's hospitals in our in our region down here, but none of them will have a program like this. You'd have to fly up to Baltimore, Philadelphia, some some of the big centers around the country. But as, as far as our region goes, this would this would put us on par with some of the top children's hospitals in the country. And um, for that, we're very proud, and, and it's something that means a great deal to us. Why are you doing it? We've seen the challenges that our son has had, um, not only medically, but just just in daily life. You know, he, he goes for speech therapy. He, he struggles sometimes getting his words out. And, and they're doing studies on, you know, all the time. And the results are coming back that there's the behavioral, social, um, cognitive development are directly tied. Those delays are, are directly tied to early cardiac surgery, both by, you know, the lack of blood supply, um, both pre and post surgery to the brain and because of the heart defects and just so many, so many layers to that. And um, to, to have a center like this, be able to not only treat, but identify these needs in young children before they become larger problems and be able to transition into school and be able to function like a normal child is, is what we all want for our children. And it's a huge need not only in the cardiac world, but it's just a huge need in society. So many problems relate to just mental illness and me mental wellness, and um, specifically that much more importantly in the cardiac world. What sort of life and life expectancy lifespan can a child like TJ hope to have? Right now, the early, the, the, the children who survived, um, the, the oldest ones that have survived that have my son's condition are just entering their 30s. Um, anybody older than that who was born uh, with this condition earlier than that would, would have passed away. Um, so right now there are some kids that have, that have reached their 30s, early 30s, and are doing well. And now, you know, the spectrum of how well is is, is all relative. Some of those children um, have received heart transplants. Some of those children still remain single ventricle kids, like my son, meaning they don't have, double, they don't have multiple chambers of the heart. They have one ventricle that pumps to do the entire work. 
um, which obviously is is not quite as efficient as the way you know all of our hearts operate. So it's it's a very complex world, and it's a world of a lot of unknowns and uncertainty. But for right now, TJ's doing great, and and you know him transitioning into school and and having these having these needs serviced like the hundreds of other kids and thousands of other kids throughout the country. Um, there's a huge need there, and, and this is something that we're very excited about uh, tackling. How can people help if they'd like to? People can get all the information. Uh, our website is www.r4r.org, and uh, our program is called The Hardest Yard, H-E-A-R-T-E-S-T, Yard. And um, Can you give me, that website one, give me that website one more time? r4r.org the four is the number r so just three okay. three uh so just r the number four r.org and uh all the information will be on there about the hardest yard program very good well listen that's tremendous that you're doing that i wish you and your family and uh all the families there uh uh tremendous uh success it's it's interesting a year ago I went i was down at the carolinas medical center uh doing a story actually both for the MMQB and I also did it for NBC. It, was, it turned out to be our our Christmas story on Sam Weich getting a heart transplant down there. And, okay. uh, you know, the former coach of the Bengals, he now lives in yes, South Carolina. Course. And uh, I, was, I was incredibly impressed with the medical facilities, the medical establishment there. And look, all I know is I go into these cities and I go to football games and everything, and I don't... I never really think of that, but highly, highly impressed with the sophistication, the facilities and everything there. So uh, it really sounds like it's going to be a great thing that you're going to do. Well, I appreciate it. We're, we're very fortunate to, to the fact that we got traded to Charlotte about six months before, um, you know, we found out that this was going to be our, our future with our son and just to happen to land in Charlotte with this amazing children's hospital has just been, has been incredible. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. State Farm knows that for football fans, your car and home are more than just stuff. They're some of your most valuable possessions. The things you've worked hard for and have made a lifetime of memories with. Whether it's the truck that gets you to every tailgate or the place where you watch your favorite team with your favorite people. But life can be a real tough opponent. That's why when it comes to finding the right home and auto insurance, you need a strong defense. A seasoned pro like State Farm. They understand it's more than just a car or a house. So why not give it the protection it deserves? It's just one more way State Farm is here to help life go right. See how they can help you by talking to a State Farm agent today. Greg, let's move on to football and ask you uh this is this is this has been a very very strange season for you because after you played every game uh from 2008 to 2016 which you know when you play every game in essence in the NFL over a 9 year period at that position especially because a lot of uh, tight ends are thought of as one or the other. You know, you're either blocking tight end or receiving tight end, but you've always kind of taken pride in being able to do both and do both well. And and then and then in the last three years, you know, because this is I I, I don't know if I'd call it the golden age of tight ends, but there's an awful lot of good ones. 
you became the first tight end in NFL history to have 1,000-yard seasons three years in a row. And coming into this year, so it was going to be all the same again. But uh, against Buffalo in Week 2, uh, you broke your foot. And uh, I, I, I think you're probably on the verge of coming back fairly soon. But tell me a little bit about your uh your your physical condition right now and what you're what you're expecting now down the stretch of this season yeah i really feel well really good these last few weeks um we've pretty much been able to to really run and and introduce cutting and and pretty much every different movement that that we really wanted to test my foot and see how it was doing we got a great uh report from from dr anderson on monday of this week about how the bone is healing and and where he thinks i'm at so my uh, my IR stint uh, technically ends after Monday's game against the Dolphins, and we we fortunately we go into a bye, so it kind of gives me a couple extra days of work. And barring any unforeseen things or any you know setbacks or whatnot, our our plan as of now is to be ready for the final six games of the season and starting with the Jets game. So, as you said, it's been a weird uh, it's been a weird year for me. You know, I, I've I think it's been a little bit of a reality check. I always just took for granted that I would play every game. It's all I really knew was, you know, figuring it out during the week. And when Sunday came, being able to play. And then, you know, of course, as you mentioned, uh, this was a little different situation with my foot, you know, needing surgery and, and a, you know, six, eight week, 10 week recovery. So it's, uh, it's part of the game. You know, we've seen a lot of guys throughout the league, you know, get injured. And I kind of consider myself lucky that, that in all things considered, it's a, you know, relatively straightforward recovery and, um, hopefully be back out there for this final push. I talked to Richard Sherman uh, earlier, and uh, one of the things that he said to me was, because I said, hey, you played the first 117 games of your career. I said, at that position, you know, when you can pull something, when you can be involved in some violent collisions downfield, that's a, that's really a heck of an accomplishment. And he And he said, yeah, he said, really, to have lasted this long, I have no complaints whatsoever. I wonder if you sort of feel that way. Uh, it's the same thing Joe Thomas said after he was hurt after playing every snap for ten and a half years. Yeah, it's kind of funny because after the initial, you know, disappointment and and you know you're at, you know you're kind of down in the dumps about getting injured. Nobody likes to be hurt. It's just it, it's you don't you miss playing. You miss being around the guys. The, the whole thing is is not great, obviously, but. You know the the big the big picture is it could have been a lot worse. You know I've played 11 seasons now, as you mentioned at the tight end position, which is known for kind of being caught up in the run blocking. A guy could have fallen into my knees a thousand times. I could have been going up for a ball over the middle and been hit and knocked out of a game a thousand times, right? And the t- you know the one thing that took me out of a game was on my own, just planted my foot funny in the ground, non-contact, and a small little bone in my foot pops. You know it's just it's just the, it's sometimes the luck of the draw. You know, you can train, you can work out, you can try to keep your body, but if something's going to go, it's just going to go. And uh, this was my time. This was, this was my time to kind of be on the short end of that stick. But just like Richard said, and those guys said, big picture, we've all been very lucky. You know, we we're fortunate. We haven't been injury prone. We, you know, you know, you're talking nine, 10 years, you know, in, in Joe and I's case of, of playing every game, that's, that's unheard of in the NFL. So I consider myself very lucky and, you know, I'm fortunate that, you know, this is a relatively short-term injury that I can come back with, with no problems from. 
Greg, what is your feeling now after watching a lot of players, not a lot, but a handful of players, step away from the game early? Have you thought of doing that at all because of what your health might be at age 45, 55? You know, I, I get it. I, I've, I've been very honest with, with myself, my family, and, and, and people that I've talked to about it publicly. I understand it. I, I have no problems. I get where guys are coming from, and, and it's your life. It's your career. It, it's, your, it's your prerogative. If, if you feel like it's time for you to step away, I would never – pass judgment or I would never say, oh, I would never do that. You know, I, you can never say never. But as we sit here today, um, I, as long as I feel good, as long as I feel like I'm not putting myself in a bad position, uh, I'm going to keep playing. I, I really enjoy this game. It's a game that I've been playing since I was six years old. You know, I, this is my first fall where I've had Sundays and weekends where I haven't played football. And it's a, it's a weird thing. And, and I said it to my coach the other day, you know, if anything good came out of this, you know, it's that I've learned that I really do still enjoy playing and that I'm eager to get back. You know, I, I didn't enjoy all the extra free time. I didn't enjoy the, the weekends off. You know, I, I enjoy the, the grind of the weeks. I enjoy the off season. I enjoy preparing to play a game. And as long as that, that remains, um, I'm going to keep going. But once that passion and once that, that love kind of leaves and my body starts breaking down, um, you know, you kind of hope that you can leave on your own terms. But not everybody's that fortunate. You know, Greg, one of the most interesting things that Joe Thomas said to me, um, we had a very long conversation after he uh, got hurt, and one of the things he said just really, really hit home. He said, I, I said to him, what, so what, what was it like finally being out of the game? And, and he goes, you know, you always think, because I've always been told, the game is going to go on without you. And you're just a cog, uh, basically a cog in the wheel. And he said, yeah, you always think that. But then you make a couple of Pro Bowls. You, you know, people start talking about you like, hey, you're really good and everything. And you, and you kind of start to get this view of yourself. And, 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 he, and he said, and I found out it's absolutely true. <laughs> he said, the game goes on. And for a minute, it kind of hurts a little bit. Because you you know you you think of what an important person you are with this team, and obviously I, I would think that that has to be with you. You know you've basically been Cam Newton's security blanket. You know in the passing game, uh, you know ever since he walked on campus, and you've been a pretty important guy to that franchise in general through through playoff wins, through some great years. So. What is it like for you to watch the game go on and you watch it on TV or from the sidelines or from wherever? Yeah, I mean, those first couple of weeks were, were, were very were tough. You know, the, the weeks were okay, and then when the weekend came, it just so happened that the first two games after I got hurt were both away games. So, you know, you're so used to on Saturday morning coming in, walk through, getting ready, getting on the bus and go to the game, and all of a sudden you're sitting at home and – the guys are getting ready and, you know, they're going to the game. And then you watch, you sit on your couch and you feel helpless. But as Joe said, it, it goes on without you. They ran out and took that field. Nobody said, hey, we're not playing because Olsen's out. You know, they went out there and they won the next two games without me. And I was as happy as anybody. And then, you know, on the way home, they're texting you, hey, you know, we're going to go out for dinner. We're going to go grab a drink. We're going to go hang out. And you just, you miss feeling a part of it, right? Like as happy as you are for the guys to win and as much – you weren't there. You didn't help. You feel like kind of an outsider. You feel like a, 
like a fan. You know, you feel like as much you were so vested in the win, but you miss being out there kind of struggling through it and, and then feeling that sensation of winning a game. There's nothing like winning an NFL game when you're a part of it. So it took me a little while those first couple of weeks to, to kind of come to grips with the situation. And then I think it kind of broke. We, we played the Thursday night game against the Eagles, and that was my first game I was able to go to. And uh, just, again, being down in the locker before the game, I kind of got it out of my system and said, okay, you know, I, I'm back. I feel pretty comfortable with where I'm at right now. It's good to be around the guys. You know, this is what I've missed. So it's a very – it's hard to describe to people that, that really have never been in an NFL locker room. I know you've seen it firsthand for a long time, but there's really nothing like it. And uh, when it's taken away, it's, uh, it's hard. This is – a lot of us, this is what we've done for a long time. Greg, you, uh, you were in the news the other day when, uh, when Fox announced that you're going to be the third man in a booth uh, during your bye week. Uh, you're going to be the third man in the booth at the Vikings-Rams game, which uh, even though we're recording this uh, on the Friday before the podcast will air, uh, if you're listening to the podcast now, people... Make sure you hook up your DirecTV or however you see every game in the NFL, if you do, uh, and listen to Greg Olson. Uh, and the reason why I'm a little bit fascinated by this game, Greg, I mean, you're doing the Rams and the Vikings, all right? And so, like, I, I might be thinking to myself, if I were Sean McVay and Mike Zimmer, hey, uh, how much am I actually going to tell this guy in our meetings before the game, we might play this guy in the playoffs <laughs> this year. Yeah, and I so, know we play. We play. We play uh, Minnesota three weeks later. Wow, <laughs> that I didn't realize. So, so yeah, I bet so I bet them. I bet Zimmer's going to look at you and say, "Get this guy out of yeah, here." Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be doing many production meetings. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so but, I don't but, think but, I'm going to have a lot of insight. How did you? How did this happen? And why are you interested in this? You know, I've been I've been lucky over the last couple of years. I've had opportunities to do a variety of different broadcast stuff. I've I've done the combine for NFL Network a few times. I've done stuff with most most of the major networks. Um, you know, some studio stuff, some games, but but never really a, a game. You know, obviously a broadcast. And uh, two summers ago, gotten to know some of the folks over at Fox. They, I was out in California, went over and you kind of heard Romo did a lot of these preparing where the game already happened. I didn't know what the game was. And we went into a studio at Fox out in LA. They brought in Kevin Burkhart and me and him called the first half of the game that took place the year prior, but you just had to call and react and just kind of get a little, um, kind of just a little like test trial, you know, and, uh, it went, you know, I think it went pretty well. Of course, you know, it was my first time ever doing it and, you know, it takes you a little while to find your groove, but, it was something I was interested in, and this summer uh, they reached out to us and, and said, hey, would you be interested in, in being the third man in the booth with, with Kevin and Charles uh, the week of your buy? And, and I said, well, what, a, what a cool opportunity. What a unique opportunity that don't come around that often, and I'm just going to jump into the fire and, and see what happens. Um, I've, been, I've been studying a lot. I've had some extra time on my hands, so I've been, <laughs> been studying up on, on L.A. and Minnesota, you know, teams that I've played before, but – you know, it's still different than when you got to stand up there in the booth and, and, and talk kind of the details of it. So I'm looking forward to the challenge. I'm looking forward to the opportunity, and uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm really interested after you've 
studied and probably watched some tape on the Rams offense, I'd really, really be curious because to me, I think Sean McVay is so interesting, not only as a play caller, uh, but a play designer. And, and I had him on my podcast last week. And I said to him, I, I brought up a play uh, from the Dallas Rams game. And it was a play that basically Todd Gurley looked like he was running a little wheel route out of the backfield, only he never stopped. He never stopped to look around for the ball. He just got past the line of scrimmage and started like doing a 40. He just started sprinting up the seam and and golf threw him the ball. It turned out to be the go ahead touchdown of the game, the biggest touchdown of the game. And I asked I asked uh, uh, McVeigh about it, and he said, "Hey, I stole that from Andy Reid." And the first the first game of the year this year, Andy Reid did the exact same thing with his rookie back from Toledo, Kareem Hunt, and he just yep. sent him up the seam, and that was the exact play. And I went back and looked at that play, and I'll be darned, it's exactly the same play because what uh, what Andy Reid did is he sent Tyreek Hill on like a fake jet sweep, and yep. that's exactly what what McVeigh did. He he brought um, I'm drawing Tavon, Tavon yeah. Austin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tavon Austin. He, he brought him in on the exact same thing, fake jet sweep, and and they in the play looked exactly the same, and so. It was really interesting. McVeigh just just came out and said, "Hey, I stole it from Andy Reid," and he said, "We all steal, yep. you know." Yep. And I, I just, I'll be really curious because I, I mean, I really, I'm going to pay attention to that game. I'll, I'll watch a good chunk of it, and uh, I'll be interested to hear what you think about their offense because I, I've really been fascinated. The other thing they do a lot, really, Greg, is they do a lot of those the rub routes, sort of the legal pick plays. They figured yep. out where the boundary of the rule is and how close you can come. It's kind of like when you're 25 yards downfield, the corner knows how much contact he can get away with. And it's yep. the same thing in these in these sort of rub routes. But I I mean I, I've just been I've been fascinated watching McVeigh. I don't know whether you've had any chance to watch those guys yet or not. I have. Part of what's been fun prepping for this game the last couple of weeks, you know, I, as I as the day's gotten closer I've started I, you know, obviously you have access to all of the games, you know, at the stadium and whatnot and upload it onto our surfaces and all that. So that's very easy to get your hands on all the games. And it's fun because I'm used to watching defenses, right? So when I watch these, this, these coaches cut ups, it's, I'm so programmed to watch the defense that it's kind of, it took me a little while to say, no, you're, you're, you're watching the wrong side of the ball, right? I'm watching, you know, <laughs> LA play Arizona or LA play, you know, whoever. Yeah. And I find myself watching the defense. I'm like, no, and so it's it's been kind of cool to study a lot of these NFL offenses, and obviously over the last couple of weeks, Minnesota and LA have been two I've obviously put a lot more time into, and it's been um, it's been really cool to just study and see what McVeigh's doing. Their running game is very is very um, is very complicated. It's very um, you know multiple two backs under center. You talk about the fly sweep motions. You know, they have a little West Coast offensive where it's just catch and throw. Yeah. And then you see them run three guys vertical and deep crossing routes. And, you know, they really do a little bit of it all. It's, it's, it's a very interesting offense to watch, and I've really enjoyed it. I only have one piece, of you advice, uh, one piece of advice for you when it comes to TV. You have not answered a single question of mine in eight seconds or less. 
But on that on that game, you're never going to speak for more than eight seconds. You know, I, mean, I know that <laughs> everything has to be a Cliff's Notes version of what you really want to say. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. I gotta. I gotta work on that. It's well, I'm, you do, you shouldn't do it here, but I'm just saying at that <laughs> level you would. Hey, I know. Uh, before no, be be, before we leave, I want to. This is my last question. So I'm worried about Luke Keekley, and I want you to tell me why I shouldn't be worried about Luke Keekley. I'm worried about him and concussions and all that. You're around him. You're around that team. What do you see in Luke? What do you What do you think when you when you uh, when you're around him now? You know, I think the biggest thing is you just have to have, have trust and, and faith in, in kind of the process of what has become that protocol. And, um, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, he's gotten the medical attention he needs. He's gotten the, he's gone through all the steps each time. And, and, you know, there's, there's doctors who know a lot more about that than I do. And, and that look at him and have tests and ways to gauge how guys are recovering from those things. And I think if, if we've proved anything as a team, we've always erred on the side of caution. Um, and, you know, going back to last year. So I think um, if he's out there, it's because he's medically cleared to be out there. And I think we all just have to have faith in that. In that, Greg Olson, listen, thanks a lot. I wish you all the best uh, in, your medical, so in your medical endeavors and uh, on the field and in the booth. It's going to be a fun last uh, seven weeks for you this year. I appreciate it, Peter. Thanks for your time. I enjoyed it. Take care. Thanks to my guest, Jason Witten and Greg Olson. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my conversations with Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, and Roger Goodell. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the MMQB podcast with Peter King, on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM Channel 82. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work, and thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Home Depot and State Farm. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week.